Thank you, praise team. Thanks, Josh, for your leadership. Appreciate it. Um, you guys, you guys helped me get in the right place. Appreciate that. Um, okay, I'm not going to put you on the spot tonight, but if you're going to be here next week, um, which will probably most likely be our last sermon in First Peter, uh, I have to say to you, we've been in First Peter for about ten months now, I think, and and. Uh, the Lord has, um, the Lord has changed me uh, in some profound ways, and uh, I guess what I would like to know is, what have you, what has the Lord brought home to you in First Peter? So, if you're going to be here next week, you might want to take a read through the short five chapters of First Peter, and so you can share with the body next week what God has impressed upon your heart and mind and soul as we've studied this uh, wonderful epistle. Uh, as all of you know who have ever taught in any capacity, you know that the teacher is always the principal student. And uh, I learned something. I always learn 50 to 100 things a week when I, as I prepare my sermon and as I prepare to teach Bible studies. But I was surprised this week when I tried to find out how many times the word preach or preached or preaching appears in Scripture. Um, anybody want to take a guess? Anybody? Nobody wants to take a guess. A wild guess. I would have never guessed. It's 120 um, in the New American Standard, which is the most literal from the original language from the Greek. I would have never guessed 120. I would have guessed maybe 20. Um, actually, there's one use, usage in the Old Testament, but uh, 119 times in the New Testament, we, we hear about Jesus preaching through the Gospels. Uh, of course, the disciples were preaching in the Gospels and also in the book of Acts. And the Apostle Paul was just always talking about preaching the Word of God. I looked the word preach up in the dictionary and it says this, to expound upon or urge acceptance or compliance with. second definition was to deliver or put forth religious or moral instruction often in a drawn out, tedious, and tiresome manner. Now I know that never happens at ICM, right? Amen? Of course. That never happens. It's never tiresome uh, or, or tedious here. Now, I must confess I've been exposed to tedious and tiresome preaching before, uh, but true biblical preaching is 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 deeper than that. It's it's more than that. It's it's replete really with with life altering and we could say e eternity altering um, gravity and gladness. In true biblical preaching, there's always gravity because God is telling us the truth about who we are before Him, and it's not good. Right? It is not good. You have, if you're going to understand the fullness of the Gospel, you have to understand who you are before God, and it is not good, beloved. We are all aware of that. But the gladness of the Gospel is that He has loved us and come for us. Right? And in Christ, through Christ, what Jesus has done, we are reconciled. To this holy God, to whom we had no hope to be reconciled to, apart from this unbelievable thing that Jesus has done, this unbelievable initiative of God to come and save His people. 
So every time the Gospel is preached, some of you have heard me say this before, everything is at stake. Everything forever is at stake when the Gospel is preached. God is always doing two things when the Gospel is preached. At least two things. He's judging and He's saving. For those who will not respond to the call of God, they will be judged. For those who do respond to Jesus Christ, they will be saved. God is always doing these two things when the Word is preached. But I I was thinking about this. Why preaching? Why preaching? Why does God use preaching? Why doesn't He just skywrite it in the clouds? Why doesn't He spell out the Gospel in the stars at night? You know, why doesn't He have the birds... Why doesn't He have the birds sing it to us? Or the crickets stitch it to us? Why doesn't He just, you know, chisel it in the mountains, in the side of the mountains? I mean, why preaching? Why preaching? I think it's one of those questions where we, we, we could simply say, well, obviously, it, please, it pleases God to use preaching. Let me turn to a passage that some of you will be familiar with. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's the biblical definition of preaching. Let me just share it with you. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to begin at verse, verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, uh, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. Now, this is the most solemn charge in all the Bible, and it's about preaching. Paul says to Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge, the living and the dead, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. This is, again, the, the, the solemnity here is astonishing. And then he says, preach the Word. He charges him before God to preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Have we not seen this? Are we not witnesses of this even in our day? Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, and even some Protestant churches who have gone off into myths. They've left the Word of God. They no longer stand on this solely. This is not their final authority. We've seen this. We see it in our our day. So I think it's good to have that biblical definition. When, When Paul talks about preaching as he talks to Timothy. If you look up the word there, there's this component of of heralding. Preaching is not simply teaching. Preaching is not simply discussion. Preaching is not simply a lecture. Preaching is not simply sharing. Preaching is the heralding of God. It's the heralding of the coming of God. 
Some of you are not familiar with what a herald used to be. Remember, the herald used to come out, the king would send out the herald. And he would, he would cry out to the whole city what the king had to say. That's what a preacher does. Every Sunday I stand here and I herald what God has said. Lord willing, without any error. Preaching is the heralding of the truth. I like the way John Piper says it. He says it's expository exaltation. It, it impacts, biblical preaching should impact the intellect and the emotion. And there are errors on both sides here. You know, if it's strictly intellect, it can be sterile. If it's strictly emotion, it can be hysteria. So good biblical preaching impacts the intellect and the emotion. So why preaching? It pleased God to reveal Himself. Remember John chapter 1 as, anybody remember? The Word. God has revealed Himself as the Word. And He has communicated Himself through the Word. Some of you may remember 1 Peter 1.23, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring drama of God. Right? Or the living and enduring concert of God. Right? Or video of God. No. What does the Bible say? By the Word of God. Rebirth comes by the Word of God. How does faith come? Someone tell me. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. How does faith come? Through drama. Through concerts. Through videos. Through lectures. How does it come? It comes by the Word of Christ. The preached Word of Christ. It has pleased God to reveal Himself as the Word and to save His people through the Word. Supernatural, wondrous, miraculous things happen when God's Word is preached. It's how He's arranged it. It's how He's designed it. Through the preached Word, we saw it in 1 Peter 2.9, God calls His people out of the darkness and into the light. It's why at ICM, our worship service is not built around music. It's not built around anything except the Word of God. We're... we're our worship is built around what God has to say to us. Preaching is not optional. Preaching is not a denominational preference. Preaching is what God has commanded His church to do. To herald the great King who has come to save His people. It's God's choice. Men didn't choose it. God chose it. The preached Word of God. I had a young woman share with me one time that she, you know, she was disappointed with her various experiences in various churches down through the years and because you know, she had never seen a miracle. She would never seen one. And she said, you know, I, I just don't think we expect enough. And I said, I expect miracles every week. I expect miracles every week. I expect for blind eyes to begin to see. I expect for deaf ears to begin to hear. I expect for dead hearts to come alive. I expect to see a miracle every week. 
And of course, she protested. She says, I'm talking about physical miracles. And I asked the obvious question. Well, what's more important? A physical miracle or a spiritual one? Tell me, what's more important? Obviously, the work of God in the heart, the fallen, sinful, rebellious heart of man. I told her, I said, I expect miracles all the time. <laughs> I'm a preacher of the Word of God. And I would be no kind of preacher if I didn't expect spiritual miracles to be happening as God's Word goes forth. I told her, I said, I think we would do well to take our cue from the angels. We never see the angels rejoicing in heaven over a physical miracle. What is it that we see the angels rejoicing over in heaven? The repentance of a sinner, which is the, the result of the miracle of God in the heart of mankind. Yeah, we could have a bigger crowd if we did miracles here, if we did physical miracles here. But I'd choose the spiritual one every time over physical miracles. And that's what God does when His Word is preached. So at ICM, we expect to see God do mighty things through His Word. And our worship is built around the truth of His Word and the power of His Word. On a personal note, as some of you might suspect, um, I've been critiqued often <laughs> about my preaching and my preaching style. Uh, I know I get a little animated sometimes, but you know, it's not like I chose to be this way. It's how God's Word affects me. And I get a little bit jazzed sometimes. People critique me. That's okay. Um, but that's who I am and that's how God's Word affects me. My preaching professor taught us two things. The first being the most important. The sermon of the preacher is his worship. This is my word. When I preach, it's my worship. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm not trying to entertain you. Um, you know, I, obviously I want the sermon to be profitable for you, but preeminently I want to honor God and present His Word correctly. It's my worship. It's my offering to Him. The second thing preaching should be, and it is for me, it's my gift to you. I'm the herald. The king tells me what to say. I say it. It is my gift to you. The best gift I could give to you, the best gift I can give to any man, woman, boy, or girl on the planet, is a message from God. And so, you know, for me to preach is, it's all about God first and foremost. And secondly, it's about you. So, I just wanted to share that with you. So if I preach like Jesus Christ matters more than anything else in your life, guess what? It's because He does, whether you believe it or not. Whether you live like it or not. He matters more than anyone or anything else in your life. And beloved, if you call yourself a Christian, you need to be living like that is a reality. And I know some of you are saying, well, Jim, what's this got to do with 1 Peter Chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Actually, it has everything to do with this text because in verse 2, Peter tells us, he tells the elders to do what? What's, his, what's the primary instruction here for the elder? To shepherd the flock. 
The elder is to shepherd the flock. What's the most important function of both the literal shepherd and the spiritual shepherd? The most important function is what Jesus says to Peter in John 21. You remember when Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, I love you three times. What did Jesus respond each time? Feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. This is what he told Peter. This is what an elder is to do. Feed the sheep. When God says shepherd the sheep, there are many things involved, but principally what's involved is that the elder feed the sheep and I feed the sheep through the Word of God. The Word of God is your meat and it is your drink. If you call yourself a Christian, you can't function in the world without the Word of God. You cannot function apart from that. It's the first thing David says in Psalm 23. You know the, you know the famous psalm, The Lord's my shepherd. I shall not lack. And then he says, The Lord makes me lie down in green pastures. And He leads me beside quiet waters. That's the job of a literal shepherd. You know, sheep are really stupid. Some of you uh, know this. Some of you may have had some, been around sheep, but sheep are really stupid. They can starve to death a hundred yards from a good pasture. They can, they can die of thirst a hundred yards from uh, drinking water. They can't find it! They have to have a shepherd lead them to it. That's the job of a she- that's the first job of a shepherd to feed the sheep, to make sure the sheep can drink. That's my job as an elder is to feed you, to feed you on the word of God. That's, that's our green pasture, right? That's, that's our quiet water, the word of God. That's what the Lord is saying to us. It's what Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. And that's what every called of God elder will do. He will feed his sheep and charge to him with this. I know some are fast and loose with it. Um, I know that some spin it. I know that some edit it. I know that some amend it. I know some emasculate it but they have ceased to be a true shepherd. They are no longer an under-shepherd, a true under-shepherd of the chief shepherd, as we see in the text. The chief shepherd, Jesus. The true shepherd, called of God elder, to shepherd the sheep is to feed the sheep. So you may remember a couple weeks ago as we closed out chapter 4, Peter reviewed or Revisited the main theme of the book of 1 Peter. I'll have to turn like this so my papers will stop blowing. The main theme of 1 Peter is Christians will suffer for being a Christian. This is the, this is the main point of 1 Peter. If you're a Christian, you will suffer because you're a Christian. It's, that's, that's the deal. So it seemed good to me as we begin the, the end of 1 Peter, as we begin our closing remarks of 1 Peter, it seemed good to me, and I'm just going to go down this list very quickly, what God has told us about suffering. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, that our trials are necessary. 
This is what God says. God says that our faith will be tested by fire. Chapter 1, verse 7. God says sometimes we suffer unjustly. Chapter 2, verse 19. God says sometimes we do what is right and suffer for it. Chapter 2, verse 20. God says that we have in fact been called for this very purpose to suffer for the Gospel. Chapter 2, verse 21. And if we suffer for the sake of righteousness, we are blessed. Chapter 3, verse 14. God has said that we will be slandered and reviled for the gospel, chapter 3, verse 16. God says that since Jesus Christ suffered in the flesh, flesh, we should arm ourselves with the same purpose of life, chapter 4, verse 1. God says that we are to be, we are not to be surprised at the fiery ordeal among us, though some strange thing were happening to us, chapter 4, verse 12. God says that to the degree that we share the sufferings of Jesus, we're to keep on rejoicing, chapter 4, verse 13. God says that if we are reviled for the name of Jesus Christ, we are blessed, chapter 4, verse 14. And God says that when we suffer according to the will of God, we are to entrust our souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. So it's in this context that the Spirit turns and says to the elder, shepherd the flock of God. It's in this context. And God turns and He says, care for My people. Care for My people. And the word elder here, it has two meanings in the Greek. One is obviously, and I'm usually the most senior guy in the room anymore. One day it will happen to you. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of an honor, I guess. But you're the old guy. That's one thing it means. You're the old guy. But the most important thing it means is that it's a New Testament office in the church. You're a leader in the church. Does anybody know the distinction between a deacon and an elder in the church? There's only one distinction. Anybody know what it is? The elder is able to teach. First Timothy. The elder is able to teach. Peter's saying, teach! Elders, teach your people. We know, we know Peter was, was uh, in both senses of the word. He was the old guy in the room, but he was able to teach. The word bishop, the word overseer, the word pastor, and the word elder, they're all used interchangeably in the New Testament. The elder is one who teaches. He's one who, who leads. So in the face of persecution, God tells His elders, His leaders to shepherd the flock. Again, the first priority is to feed them the Word of God. This is the principal job of an elder. I think one of the best compliments we ever received in this church some years ago, a young woman said, ICM doesn't tell you uh, what to believe. ICM tells you what God says. I love that compliment. This woman had some background in, uh, in the Catholic Church. And we don't come in here and we don't, we don't tell you what some pope says or what some church council says or what some, some denominational creed says. Quite frankly, I could care less. They may say some good things. But this is really all I'm interested in. And because I love you, I'm going to give you this, whether you like it or not. <laughs> you know, 
The old saying for a preacher is you should always preach with your bags packed. Because if they run you out of town, that's okay. As long as you don't minimize what God has said. As long as you don't compromise what God has said. You're going to say what God has said. You are a herald of God. This is, this is the job. And it's a great job. It's the best job in the world as far as I'm concerned. I praise God that He gives me the privilege and the honor to do this. Of course, Peter is more than simply an elder. And he references it here in verse 1. He says, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Jesus. He's an apostle. He's, he's more than an elder. He is an apostle. He was one of the twelve. He was in the inner circle with James and John. He saw the life of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus, the death, resurrection, ascension, and glorification of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And again, that brings us to verse 2, the point that I've been hammering on already. Elders, shepherd the flock of God among you. I love it. I was telling Karen we were going for a walk yesterday, and I told her, I said, you guys, I love that our flock... Our flock just keeps, you know, flushing through Milan. You know, it just keeps flowing through Milan. And and while you're here, you're you're our flock. You're you're the flock at ICM, and it's a great joy that 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 we get to shepherd you, right, and love you, and feed you. My greatest joy, obviously, is that some will be converted here, and that happens. But you know what happens most often? People come in with a small God and they leave with a huge one. This is our greatest joy. They come in with some small religious icon and they leave knowing Christ is is sovereign. And they sell out as disciples. This is our greatest joy. To watch somebody go from nominalism to discipleship. And we we do get to see it in the last ten years. We've seen it often. God has turned people's lives upside down here. And it's a great blessing. So the context is the church that Peter's writing to. It's in the midst of a fierce persecution. And Peter says, take care of the flock, you leaders. Take care. Now, obviously there's danger involved. The church is being persecuted. They're going to come after the shepherd first. Isn't that always the strategy? Get the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. So there's obvious danger here. And I couldn't help but think of King David, the the boy shepherd. You remember when he was about to fight Goliath. And Saul said to him, you can't fight Goliath, you're just a kid. And what did David say? He said, listen man, I've killed the lion and I've killed the bear. He's a shepherd. You know? He's fought the lion and he's fought the bear. And I think it's interesting that over in verse 8 of this chapter, you'll see it if you look. Satan is compared to a lion who prowls about seeking to devour. My text says someone. But Satan doesn't care about unbelievers. He wants to devour the Christian. He's unconcerned about unbelievers. He already has them. They are in his domain. He's seeking to devour a Christian is what the point is here. It's what Peter's saying to the elders There's a prowling lion coming for the sheep. You must protect them. And again, how 
Ultimately, how does the elder protect the sheep? By equipping them with the Word of God. That they can stand on the Word of God. They can stand on the promises of God. They'll get up every morning and fight the good fight. What is the good fight? It's to believe. Every day, I don't know, maybe you're different than me. I'm tempted not to believe in some aspect of my life. Not that, not, you know, it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm not believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and my Savior. That's not what I'm talking about. But that I'm failing to believe God in my finances or I'm failing to believe God in my work. I'm failing to believe God in my relationships. I'm failing to believe God in my marriage. I'm failing to believe God in, in raising my kids. Listen, beloved, we're here to fight the good fight, as Paul says. And the fight is the, the fight of faith. And you can't do it unless you're filled up with God's Word. That's why our worship service is built around the Word of God. That you might be fed and that you might be equipped to go out there and live a life of faith. So, the Bible and church history tell us that, uh, that to be an elder or a pastor or an overseer, sometimes it involves physical struggle. I've never experienced that. But it always involves spiritual struggle. You may remember what Paul told the Ephesians in chapter 6 of Ephesians. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, the world forces of darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness. Again, the primary way that the called of God elder will protect his flock is by building them up in the Word. Building them up in the Word of God. Paul says to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-5, through 5, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. fortresses. I love this text. We are destroying speculations. I'm doing that every week. Some of you come in here filled up with speculations. The media has filled you with speculations. Or academia has filled you with speculations. God's going to set all that straight in His Word. Paul continues... We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So I stand here each week and I seek to destroy cultural and intellectual and philosophical and theoretical and political, psychological, ecclesiastical, spiritual, and theological speculation. You know, I say it to you all the time. Who else is going to tell you the truth, beloved? Who else? Everybody's got an agenda, right? Everybody, just if you live long enough, you begin to understand everybody's got an agenda. Everybody. I, I, I have an agenda. My agenda is to preach the Word of God to you in such a way that you would not only know He's God, you would love that He's God, and you would live like He's God. This is what... This is my... This is my job. 
as a herald, as an elder in the church. We are charged, teaching elders are charged with the destruction of speculations and every lofty thing raised up against God. And when I say that, I'm talking about, I know some people don't like when I talk like this, but again, I, I must speak truth. Um, I know people don't like it because they tell me. <laughs> but, you know, I'm here to destroy speculations. I'm here to speak truth against error. And any proposition that denies, discredits, or disagrees with the Word of God, it is demonic. That's what people don't like when I say. It is demonic. That includes all world religions and pseudo-Christianity. If, if it's not the truth, someone tell me what it is. If it's not the truth, what is it? It's a lie. Who is the father of lies? Someone tell me. Satan. If it's not the truth, it's from him. You know, we can talk sweet and we can do PC or we can be Christians. If it disagrees with the Word of God, it's demonic. I don't care what label's on it. If it disagrees with that, it's demonic. It's satanic. This is the Word of God. And of course, Satan attacks the church from the outside, but he loves to attack the church from the inside. And he does that, as we know, through false teachers. Almost every book in the New Testament deals with false teachers to one degree or another. They butcher the Gospel for their own agenda. We mentioned it last week, and Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, those who preach another Gospel, even if it is an angel from heaven, let them be accursed. In 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter calls these false teachers, he says, they're unreasoning animals. They are stains and blemishes upon the church. They are sensual. They are fleshly. They are adulterous. They revile, they're, they're reviling in their deceptions. They are enticing unstable souls. They are full of greed. They are speaking arrogant words. I learned something again in the background reading this week. Um, you know how they lead the sheep into the slaughtering house. Does anybody know? Of course, sheep are like, they're just, you know, they're just so sad. But what they do is they have a, something called, they have a guy, he's a male sheep, castrated male sheep, and he's called the Judas, the Judas sheep. And they put this little guy, little Judas, and they put him in front of the herd, and he, he takes him into the slaughtering house. And he, he slips out the side door, right? And all the sheep are slaughtered. And he comes back around, he takes the next batch in. It's the Judas sheep. And listen, beloved, my job is to protect you from false teachers and Judas sheep. And the only way I can protect you is if I preach this to you and you love it so much that you study it for yourself, you own it for yourself, you hide it in your heart, and you live it. You will not be deceived when you leave Milan you go to some other church. You won't be deceived by some false teacher. 
because you've heard the truth. You know, Karen and I, we visit, we like to visit when we, on holiday, we visit other churches. And, you know, I can sit, I can listen to a guy for about 10 minutes and I know if he's true or false. Sometimes it takes a little longer, but sometimes it's about 10 minutes. And Karen will go, that's not right. <laughs> you know? And so, anyway. Yeah. Verse 2, the elder exercises oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. Nobody becomes an elder uh, under, under the compulsion of other men or because of external issues. The only reason to... The only biblical reason a man should become an elder is that God has called him to do it. You know, men, I have young men who are interested in ministry over the years. They've asked me, how did you know? And I said, I, I could not not do it. That's how you know. If you can do anything else, as they always say, do it. But if you cannot not preach the Gospel, then you must preach it. We are under the compulsion of God, not the compulsion of men or external circumstances. Verse 2 also, that the call of God elders not in the ministry for gain. Of course, to me this is a bad idea. I think you're going to go into the ministry for gain. Of course, unless you're a false teacher. Now, some of these false teachers, they do very well. They own mansions, multiple mansions. They fly their own jets. They wear $5,000 suits. They wear $100,000 worth of jewelry. But these men and some women, they will give an account. They will stand before God and give an account. As 2 Peter chapter 2 says, these false prophets, they, they arise among the people. These false teachers are even now among you who secretly introduced destructive heresies. Many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. God's judgment will fall on the false teacher. Verse 3, The call of God elder must not lord it over the people of God. He is not dictatorial. He is not autocratic. He is not domineering. He does not bully the sheep. He loves the sheep. He leads the sheep. He nurtures the sheep. He seeks to protect the sheep. It's not about being in power. We saw it a couple of weeks ago, Matthew 20, 25. Whoever wishes to be great among you, what? Let him be the servant among you. A called of God elder, a mature elder, will understand he's the consummate servant in the body. He's not the king of the body. He's the servant of the body. Peter says, do not lord it over the flock. Peter also says that the elder must be an example to the flock. We know what Paul told Timothy, that the elder must be above reproach in all aspects of life. This does not mean an elder has led a perfect life or has no dark blots in his distant past. If that were true, no one would be qualified to be an elder. It simply means that the elder's recent past and current life are free from reproach. We are to be, the elder is to be an example for 
the flock. Verse 4, the elder uses his gift in the church for the very same reason each Christian does. It pleases God. It's why God has gifted each member of the body that we would use those gifts. Verse 4 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfailing, unfading crown of glory. Every called of God elder as well as every real, genuine, authentic Christian will be pointing at the Bema seat. The Bema seat's not about sin. Jesus has taken our sin from us. The Bema seat is where we give an account of all that we have done within the body. Have we built on uh, gold, silver, and precious stones? Or have we built on wood, hay, and straw? The fire will test it at the Bema seat. And Peter says to the under-shepherd, the elder, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive your reward. The same is true for every Christian. So at ICM, we're not here to entertain you. We're not here to be your life coach. We're not here to provide academic stimulation. We're not here to tickle your ears. We're not even here to merely give you milk to drink. We're here to give you solid food. So you'll be a warrior out there. You'll be a warrior. You'll be able to stand. You'll be able to stand and do what Christians are supposed to do, as we've been saying all the way through 1 Peter. Give a witness! Stand in the world and give a witness. I love to say it. I'm going to say it again. You're not called to win the argument. You're called to give a witness. And I can tell you, I've been in error in the past thinking, well, I'll never win this debate. I won't even begin or start. That's wrong. With love, we share the truth. Again, you're not called to win. You're just called to witness. So ICM is here to feed God's sheep with the Word of God. All of the Word of God. The easy parts, the mysterious parts, the complicated parts, and the hard parts. We preach all of God's Word that you might be mature in the things of God. I was. Some of you realize that the psalm I read earlier was from Psalm 119. And the psalmist says that the believer is ready to treasure God's Word in his heart, to receive understanding, to meditate in delight in the statutes of God, to walk in God's ways, to keep God's precepts, to have our hearts enlarged by the Word of God. And you know how the psalmist there in 119, he goes on to say, how sweet are the words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's how men and women become disciples of Jesus. It's how real Christians do life. It's by knowing, loving, believing, trusting, and obeying the Word of God. Beloved, if that's not a priority in your life, you need to do some serious business with God. I mean, you really need to seriously question if you're a Christian at all. Because this is who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be students of the Word. And we're supposed to... Someone tell me. What does James say? We're supposed to do what? Do the Word. 
How can you do the Word if you do not know the Word? We teach God's Word here because His truth, as Jesus said in John 8, that famous passage, it makes us free to be a disciple. It makes us free to obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy. So I'm going to close with Daniel 11.32, one of my favorite verses. I use it at least probably once a quarter. The people who know their God, they shall be strong and they shall do exploits. If you do not know this, you will not know your God. You will not be strong. And you will not do exploits. But if you give yourself to this, you sit under the preached Word, and you plant yourself uh, in your quiet time before the Lord in the Word, you hide it in your heart, you meditate on it, you memorize it, you come to know it and own it and trust it and then do it. This is what God has called us to do, beloved. This is what the Lord has called us to do. Let's pray together. Lord, You've given us all we need. We have all we need. We have the truth and the power of God's Word made alive in us by the third member of the Trinity. You've given us all we need. Father, I pray that we would be good stewards of such a magnificent gift. That we would know the Word, love the Word, trust the Word, and do the Word. Help us, Father, we pray. Give us the faith to fight the good fight, to believe every day we get up, to believe every promise in every sphere of life, to believe and act. That's who we want to be, Father, as a people, as a church, and as individuals. Men and women who know their God and who are strong and who do exploits. Help us, great God, we pray, in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Amen.